between the end of the last episode and this episode, we did change the name slightly to the cusp. So、um, I was wondering if we want to talk about that a little bit at the beginning, and then. That's right, everyone. We changed our name. We are now on the cusp. After doing some due diligence on the name on the cusp, we decided to drop the on and just go with the cusp. Now, here are the boys to explain why. I mean, we we have a hilarious reason why. Like, like, there's a string of failures、uh, in the <laughs> podcast world named on the cusp. <laughs> so we just don't want to be part of the 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 negative legacy.、Eh? So that's that's the reason why we just don't want to be like we just don't want to be on the cusp of success the whole time. I guess. So after one episode, we already rebranded ourselves. We are now on the cusp. I do like the new name though. It has a bit more brevity to it. It's a bit more sharp, and it still keeps with our overarching theme of being this generation sandwiched between two other massive generations. And one of those sides of the sandwich is the Gen Z generation, who are extremely pervasive on the popular social media app TikTok. Now, between the months of January and March, TikTok has seen a massive rise in viewership of 25%, according to the analysts from Center Tower. Now I have been feeling the pressure to get the social media app TikTok, and I told the boys how I feel about that. I started on Facebook. Facebook was kind of the cool thing. I was I was like 13 years old when I got Facebook, and I was like, yes, I'm like part of the inner group. And then people left Facebook and went towards、uh, Instagram, and I was like, oh come on, what's going on?、Um, and then people left Instagram and went to Snapchat, and I was like, oh my gosh, I have to get Snapchat. And then people、yeah. kind of left Snapchat and went back to Instagram once Instagram got Instagram Stories, and I was like, "Yeah, okay, this is it. I'm sticking with Instagram. Like, I'm gonna stop moving." And then TikTok came, and I was like, "Yeah, definitely not. I I can't make another、yeah. move. I'm good. Instagram's good for me.、Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't I don't feel I fit with the with the TikTok crowd." And then all of a sudden, I get Tony sending me all these memes from TikTok, <laughs> and I'm like, "Tony, aren't you aren't you too、yeah. old for TikTok? Like, what like what's going on?" I, I I gotta say, if you're too old for something at 23, like, like there's no PhD <laughs> in maturity you're gonna get for that. Touche, Tony. Touche. Perhaps I'm not too old for TikTok. Perhaps it's time I set aside my preconceived ideas of the app and open myself to exploring the fascinating and somewhat odd world of TikTok. And luckily for us, Tony is a very passionate advocate for some reason of TikTok. And Anka and I are, are willing and ready to listen to hear what TikTok is like and explore deeper themes around that. But without a doubt, this pandemic is going to change the world we live in. It, it may have led; it's, it's leading to the to the rise of social media apps like TikTok. But at the same time, it's also seen a massive decline in the economic fortunes of and economic prospects of. The Gen Z generation and and the Millennial generation, those of us on the cusp. These are some of the issues we explore in today's podcast. So, hi everyone, I'm Tom, and joining me is Anka and Tony from our socially distant living rooms, and this is episode two of the cusp. So we were talking about things that might stick around after the pandemic, and one thing that has skyrocketed in popularity is 
without a doubt, TikTok. Um, so again, my question to you guys again is um, which one of us had TikTok before the pandemic? Who got it? Who got TikTok during the pandemic? And who's going to keep it after? I didn't, but Tony's kind of been the plug for TikTok for me. Tony and my little sister have been sending me TikToks day and night. And they've been great. Don't, don't get me wrong. So I haven't yet created an account on TikTok, but I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm tempted more and more as the days pass. Um, just because I get so much uh, content from Tony and my sister that I'm tempted. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, like, I don't know why I, I have to get TikTok. If Tony just <laughs> yeah, shares all the, the TikToks with me. I'll, I'll tell you what, man. The algorithm is going to self-select, like... Like the same stuff for both of you. Uh, that that said, I I'm still gonna gonna be a proponent of uh, of TikTok. I I do have more comprehensive thoughts on TikTok and and its place in society. I can get to that later. But uh, but yeah, no, the meme culture is, mm-hmm. is great. So Tony, did you, you did you you had TikTok before this whole lockdown situation, right? That's right. Uh, I I got it. I think I think uh, last year, so like November or October of, of twenty nineteen. Um, oh, that's that's literally right before the pandemic. Yeah, and and uh, I got it because I heard that TikTok was like growing really fast, like their user base. And mm-hmm. I was like, that just sounds really interesting to me. There's got to be something to it. And so I installed it and I like immediately saw the, why it had widespread mm-hmm. appeal, especially to Gen Z's. Like I, I, I really wish we had something like TikTok when we were teenagers or, or just even younger. Um, Cause it really, really, uh, represents their culture well, like youth culture well. And can you can you explain though, like what what makes TikTok different from yeah. Vine and other apps before it? Like what what do so, you like about it? So I I gotta say I I think comparing TikTok to Vine is an unfair comparison for a couple of reasons. First of all, it's already more influential than Vine. It has way more users, so I, I would say it's it's likely here to stay. Uh, second of all, Vine uh, didn't blow up in another country, from what I understand, before it blew up in, in Canada or, or where we are, or just North America in general. TikTok has already worked on their algorithm and refined it and their user interface and refined it in these other countries where it has widespread appeal. So I think something like 57% of TikTok's users are in China. There are 323 million Indian users yeah. on TikTok, for instance. Um, and I also feel like uh, Gen Zs have a, a unique relationship with TikTok and social mm-hmm. media in general. I think it's hard to place, but I think TikTok helps yeah. facilitate it. Uh, I think Gen Zs are much more willing to challenge conventional norms. And I think that part of, part of that has this nihilistic streak which isn't necessarily good but they're teenagers so give them a break a break i think that's what we're all looking for when we go on social media just a break from life and all of its hustle and trouble and whatever circumstances you find yourself in 
However, social media has its own troubles. TikTok is in the news a lot lately because there's concerns about what it does with its users' data. There's members of Congress asking for TikTok to be banned because they're worries of what the Chinese government is doing with all of that data. So we dove into that topic a little bit. And I think there, there is this other side um, that we can talk about, that there are, the, there are these moral and ethical and privacy issues uh, with TikTok. Um, I would argue that the reason young people seem so eager to ignore those is because social media companies committing these malfeasance, uh, that, that's just normalized yeah. for young people. You know, they, they grew up understanding that if you put something on Facebook, it's sold to a Russian company that's going to meddle in, a, in an election. If you put something on Instagram, it's going to be used to doctor. Yeah. Like they're used to this. So TikTok, you know, banning content that criticizes the Communist Party of China almost seems like small potatoes or even just a regular yeah, potato. If, if, if I could chime in here just uh, real quick, because I, I, I largely agree with of everything course. Tony's put out. Just to add, just add a little bit there. Um, I think like for young people, none of these social media platforms, like if they're, if they're really concerned about privacy, they're all like forms of perhaps lesser evil. Like there's none of them that are like, oh yeah, this is the, the social media platform where everything is safe, right? So then it's just about, okay, like now mm-hmm. let me think about why I use a platform. And I think one of the reasons why TikTok is is so popular, especially now, I think it's a form of a sense of there's a sense of like creative expression and escapism with TikTok. Where like right now everything is kind of fucked, right? Like we're in the middle of a pandemic. It's like a very scary time outside. Um, our social other social media platforms like Facebook and Instagram, maybe they have news stories, maybe they have other content, and which is cool because you want to keep up with it, but sometimes you just want to escape from it. Whereas now I go on TikTok and look, there's all these funny memes, there's these funny dance videos, there's all this sort of uh, like almost like escapism that I can have that I can be like, okay, this is a nice <laughs> fun outlet for my day. So I can go on TikTok and not worry. But 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 don't don't you get that escapism no, from any so. social media app? So. Like, what makes TikTok special? Um, well, I think that TikTok, in the way that it differs, like with Instagram, for example, I think one of the the struggles that, and I think one of the reasons why Gen Z likes Instagram but not as much as TikTok is there is definitely like a comparative element on Instagram where it's like I'm comparing my life with everyone else's life, and it's like a very cultivated feed. Whereas TikTok, yes, there's a sense of cultivation in terms of creating cool. TikTok. TikToks, but it seems like it's just more fun, right? Like everybody's just there for for like a funner experience. So I don't think it's as, um, I, I guess, comparative. I don't know, Tony. You know, at this is that just the is that just the novelty? I, I to, to to jump in here, I think there is this central contradiction in TikTok culture because TikTok and the for you page it elevates these pseudo celebrities like Charlie D'Amelio. Um, Sim- like more or less on the basis of uh, the old social conventions that would have gotten you clout on Instagram or Facebook, right? Like at the same time, there is this undercurrent of, I, sh- I shouldn't say hate, but like inherent cynicism or skepticism about people that want clout or have it. So even though you have like these influencers on TikTok, most of the content I think an average person sees, unless they're seeking out that influencer content, is 
like those people getting mm-hmm. roasted or like like people making fun of them and i think that's not something you get on other social media platforms as much it's like the the underdog culture of other social media platforms refine yeah. and, and it dominates and i think part of that is because it's it's such a young demographic um, using it Um, like, how do you think, like, why do you think, like, because I was reading some stuff about Gen Z and how they prefer, um, I mean, they use Instagram, but they honestly prefer Snapchat, YouTube, and TikTok, whereas us, we're mostly, like, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, etc. Why do you think it is that Gen Z is attracted to these platforms, and, like, how do you think they're shaping culture through these platforms? Uh, so I, I think I think the reason they're attracted to the platforms is kind of independent of how they're going to shape culture. I think though, what I what I notice when I'm seeing um, like Generation Z expressing their culture, uh, I I think they're woke. Like like I think that's the best way to describe it. They've grown <laughs> up in an incredibly diverse generation. They've been taught critical thinking skills by an education system. They understand the broader consequences of uh, policy and culture. And I, I'm not going to say that's all of them. But I think certainly they're more engaged mm. and more informed than we were at their age. Uh, yeah. I, I remember reading on like Reddit, there's always these subreddits, like they ask like certain professions a question. And one of the uh, questions that day was, uh, teachers, what what have you seen in this generation that you didn't think you saw in your generation? And most of the teachers, like the number one comment was that students are just more compassionate with uh, yeah. with each other. They just they just they want to like bring more people in. They want to like make sure like no one is left yeah. out. And they're just more compassionate than other generations. I I agree. I thought that was really interesting. And along because, the lines of what you're saying, too. um, I agree that this generation that's coming up is much more politically engaged much more like i mean this is the greta thunberg climate march generation like they like the like walk out of schools for gun violence march for our lives generation there i just don't think that they see um and this might be a good thing frankly i just don't think that they see social media platforms and uh music as forms of expression that is political. Like, for example, if you look at like rap music in the last couple of years, like it's gotten, in my eyes, like a lot less political, right? And it's a lot more about fun and partying and stuff like that as compared to the J. Coles, the Kendrick Lamars. But it doesn't mean these gens, but it doesn't mean these, totally but disagree. it doesn't mean these Gen Z kids are more, um, <laughs> more um, like apolitical. Do you know what I mean? And the same thing with the, their social media platforms. Like this is like I don't think that, frankly, the the Facebook essay that we used to post, or like the the Facebook essays, the long posts, those discussions are happening as much on these social media platforms. But it doesn't mean that these people aren't debating these issues. They are clearly very politically involved. So, so two thoughts on that. First, I'll, I'll talk about rap culture. Like, I think. Um, the lack of political themes or social themes in rap culture is, is over-exaggerated. Like, what you had before was uh, rappers that were elevated, not just by their communities, but by society overall, because it was one of the only forums 
for marginalized communities to express their lived experience. So you only had a, a couple rappers uh, that could break through this marginalization that pervaded music. Um, things like, like if, if you if you were a, a black uh, uh, musician in, in the 1950s, you might be producing great content, but they'd probably steal your music mm-hmm. and have Elvis sing it. Right. And like not give you a royalty for it, you know, <laughs> like so and and dilute the, the lived experience expressed through that music. So I think you have um, you you only had like that one form, whereas now because uh, those political and social themes had such a broad impact on people and popularized rap, you now have yeah, like, a lot okay. more people rapping and and like. And like, so you're not gonna have every single person be Tupac or Biggie or Jay Z, like right. express those. Yeah, that's fair. Those things. Um, se- yeah, and and second, like, I don't necessarily think it's just Gen Zs that are elevating people like mumble rappers. Mm-hmm. Like, it's our generation too, um, and that doesn't mm-hmm. mean we're less politically engaged. It just means like sometimes people through really music. want to have a good time or, or, or through their social and media listen to, it's listen a form to of stuff. escapism. Doesn't mean that they're less apolitical. It just means that that's that's their escapism. Yeah. They don't need to be political there. And and I, I gotta say, and and maybe this is because of the algorithm and, and the way I'm using TikTok, but I feel like they're way more engaged <laughs> than we were. So I, I don't think they're not expressing their political opinions on social media. I think they're expressing really? them yeah. okay. more than we were at their age. Like you see a lot of, but well, they don't seem to be, they don't seem yeah. to be voting. I guess I guess have yeah. they really reached voting age yeah. yet? But voting voting turnout amongst them, right? young people well, is still yeah. very very yeah. low. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I thought I thought they felt the burn. Well, yeah. again, a lot of them are very young, mm-hmm. but also, um, like we, we as twenty three year olds can't be absolved of like the fact that we didn't like our like most of our age group didn't vote as well you know so like we, we're in a small minority of politically engaged mm-hmm. individuals in my in my view and then like um i think you see that minority of politically engaged individuals much more pervasively uh, uh sharing their their views and engaged on social media in the generation uh, uh below us much more extensively like i i I see political content on TikTok. When I was 18, 19, 20, I almost never saw yeah. a political in my, post in my, on Facebook sorry, go Instagram. Ahead. Almost never. It, yeah, like I, I think I think <clears throat> you've seen more of that because our generation, the cusp generation, is is starting to feel the impact of these broader societal mm-hmm. events. So you, the economy doesn't really matter to you until you've graduated from yeah. high school or university yeah. and you're looking for a job. Right. And I, I think because our generation is starting to experience that or just even become more knowledgeable about these issues and matured and feels like uh, we can yeah. share, share an opinion. I, I, I feel like that's the reason why you're seeing a lot yeah. more of that content Fair. in our age group. It's really hard to keep these boys on topic sometimes, but it is what it is. We started to explore a pretty interesting area around sharing political posts and opinions on social media, and the boys and I had slightly different approaches to to doing that.
political posts on yeah. social media. So I'm definitely a politically oriented, knowledgeable person. I'd like to think uh, I've I've made the decision not to post that stuff on on social media. Um, I think the only time I've made a politically charged comment on social media was when Trump got elected, and it was something like. I came into this election to feel the burn and now all I feel is heartburn or something like that. Um, (laughs) Nice. But generally I'm not like, I'm, I'm probably not going to be posting uh, that stuff on social media. And I think like, I would say it's because I'm like the the constraints of, of uh, being kind of entering the legal profession and, and not wanting to step on any toes. But I think part of it is also if I, if I, let's say I was posting my, my political takes four or five years ago, I think already some of those takes would look outdated. <laughs> Controversial to say that. And least. I think that's fine. Like, I, I think culture is supposed to evolve, people are supposed to change. Uh, but I think, like, uh, in the place we are today, that that's not you're not going to necessarily be being given that that room Mm -hmm. to grow by the people Mm -hmm. who who find those posts on your social media yeah for me for me i think it's it's two reasons uh the the first one really being that i'm just generally a more reserved person and i don't like to share personal things on social media so i try not to engage in the in the facebook comment wars or the or the youtube comment wars which are which are even worse um and the second thing i think is which is really funny because you, Tony, you and I have like past experience in competitive debates, yeah. competitions, and you think like debate kids will be like the first ones to go into Facebook and like rip every politician out there a new one, yeah. right? But I, I found that outside of a debate circle and official tournament, people just suck at arguing. Like people just suck at actually having a constructive conversation or debate. It's, it's less about debating on the topic and just more about attacking each other right so I, that's why i just tend to away from an official debate tournament i just yeah. avoid those kind of arguments in it's, general which i don't think is a good thing but I, you have to find the balance right i want to have that conversation when i no, know I, you, you want to hear my totally my point, fair. Not just um, you know what and i think i think this is a very personal decision like to the degree to which you want to express yourself politically on social media platforms um like for me for example i do post politically and like i do like to write things and put them out through my social media platforms and just express myself but at the same time i try to refrain from like getting involved in a lot of like facebook debates like sometimes i'll like stuff on facebook that in the middle of debates but i try to refrain from getting like like typing stuff even if i'm tempted just because i know it's almost like a never-ending rabbit hole and you could think that you have a great argument but that the person is just so so rooted on proving you wrong that it just becomes a he he said she said and there isn't like like you said the quality of the argument is diminished so like even if i do post i don't think i get into the arguments just because i find that to be like a really uh big waste of time mm-hmm. i just i just i want to i want to drag us back a little bit on topic um I, I wanted to say before I forget as well about the TikTok whole, the whole TikTok debate. Um, I I I have this thing that I just came up with right now. Yeah. I call it the the MME, and it's what I use to rate okay. what um, social media platform is the most popular. It's the meme multi the meme multiplier effect, um, patented definition. And w- what I mean is like 
But usually back in the day, I'll see a meme on Reddit and then I'll see that meme a week later on, on Instagram. And now I'm seeing that all the memes I find on Instagram or anywhere else, they've all come mm -hmm. from TikTok and they've all been on TikTok for like weeks already, yeah. right? So that meme multiplier effect, I really feel it shows that TikTok is dominating right now. Um, no, that's fair. <laughs> that's just my, that's my take, my hot do, take. Do you think but, it's because <laughs> the people who typically have time and the inclination to generate memes are going to be young people, just inevitably? And the social media app that young people are on. Um, but I'll put, but I'll pause it to you though. Was Reddit us young people social media app at the I time? Think so. I think so. I don't think it was. I don't think it was. Ever, I don't, was it ever overly dominated by young people? So I think there are two. There, there's a couple differences. First of all, Reddit's anonymized. So if you're like a working mm -hmm. professional, you can be unprofessional on Reddit, make an immature meme or joke, and it it won't come with consequences whereas on instagram tiktok typically you're going to have uh your name id attached to whatever content you put out so it's it's much easier to put out that content when you're young compared to when you're like a 40 year old mm -hmm. working in computer science or whatever um yeah but but also like i i do think reddit had a younger user base in general back in like 2012 or 2011 when it was just you know starting up uh and that, that the user base has expanded dramatically and changed the content expressed on Reddit. Mm -hmm. Like for, for context, um, you get onto the front page, you, you used to need like 200 upvotes and now you need like 50,000. I'm going to move on a bit just to get back on topic, sorry. Um, but we'll come back to it. I don't. I don't want this to just be a social media only thing. But my last question um, to you, Tony, specifically on the whole TikTok thing is: Okay, so I, I heavily do not want to join TikTok. But as a fairly young millennial, can you convince me why I should join TikTok? I think you are inevitably going to join TikTok. You're going to be assimilated into the board, like, and I think it's one of those situations where. You know those kids that didn't get Facebook when like everyone was getting Facebook because blah, blah, blah. Like they'd like echo some talking point from their parents or like the people that were like, oh yeah, I'm not gonna be on Instagram. It just seemed super shallow back in like when we were in undergrad or, or in high school. Like the same thing is happening now with TikTok. And all you're going to lose is like years of of like seeing TikTok when it's at its best. Um, but you're inevitably going to get a TikTok because you would have to inevitably get a Facebook or an Instagram or anything else. Like, I think, I think it's just part of participating in culture and the social online community. And, um, and I, like, again, like you can resist and you can, you can be one of the people who today doesn't have Facebook or doesn't have Instagram. But I don't necessarily, I don't look at those people and think they're more mature, they're better, they have better mental health. Like, I don't think any of those things. I just think they don't have Instagram or Facebook and I can't send them a meme. You, you sounded like Thanos there a bit. It's like, I am inevitable. TikTok, <laughs> like, it is. Like, the, when, I, when I like, would, like, I convinced a few friends to get TikTok 
And then all of their, so like they convinced five friends to get TikTok and those people convinced five friends to get TikTok. And the reason I think it spread so rapidly, not just in my social group, but in a lot of social groups is because of the user interface and the algorithm. And I think it's just going to continue to grow. So as we continue to talk about the world post-pandemic, the three of us have come across a very interesting article by The Atlantic this week. Annie Laurie writes in her piece, Millennials Don't Stand a Chance. She kind of explains why the economic repercussions of this pandemic disproportionately affect millennials. So some of the points she brings up are millennials make up a majority of bartenders, half of restaurant workers, a large share of retail workers. Millennials are also heavily dependent on gig and contract work. A lot of these jobs have evaporated now because of the pandemic. So the three of us were very curious as to how post-pandemic, what could be the economic prospects and future of our generation, the Gen Zs, millennials, those of us on the cusp, and really how might this also affect the politics in our in our environments. So I, I brought this article up with the boys again. So millennials have smaller savings accounts than prior generations. We have less money invested. We own fewer houses to refinance or rent out or sell. Basically a lot of bad, bad, bad things about millennials. And it's all just, it's all just created this concoction of bad things. Um, So, you know, post pandemic, what's, what's the world going to look like for us? It's tough. I know that's a, that's I know that's a heavy hitter, but I like, let's, let's even break it down a bit. Like if you look, just that the fact that a lot of the jobs that have been lost, a lot of these retail jobs, um, gig work, that millennials have kind of kind of dominated in terms of volume. How do you think that's going to affect us? How do you think it's going to affect millennials like also graduating into a world that had both the Great Recession and also a hundred-year pandemic? Like, yeah, it's, it's a lot of things. Well, I think um, I think you you're like the reason we have radicalization or rather more just populism expressed in political movements because of these ubiquitous economic issues um like Mm -hmm. i view both socialism or like the make america or canada great again movements trying to address the same underlying cause uh i i think these are catch-all terms or policies or a general approach that might address these ubiquitous general generational issues that a lot of us are experiencing. Like if you're in your 20s right now or 30s even or, or coming up as a, as a teenager, there doesn't seem to be a reasonable prospect to build wealth, whether it's home ownership or a financial Easter egg. Uh, people who do have stable employment, uh, don't have a lot of free time, and they typically occupy jobs that aren't nine to five or a five day work week, you're always on the clock. Or alternatively, you're underemployed and can't get enough uh, shifts at your workplace or, or time on. And I think you see the response to this being building a more diverse and inclusive government uh, for, for a lot of us, or even just like a, a more diverse and inclusive workplace that remunerates us to, to, a, to a greater extent. Um, it's, it's my understanding that a lot of this uh, 
seeming financial deprivation in our generation is is the result of this transference of wealth through rent and um, underemployment to older people. So people who are the late side of, of that Gen X category or baby boomers. And now we're adding into, uh, into that another recession here uh, that might be experienced differently by individuals on either side of this cusp or within the cusp generation that I think mm -hmm. is going to exacerbate a lot of these issues. Um, so I, I think it is, it is going to be a big mistake for governments or businesses to neglect uh, yeah. these pervasive issues because they're not going to go away and they're going to cause us to be increasingly frustrated. And if I think the, the current political discourse and, and institutions can't address these issues, yeah. people are going yeah, to look absolutely. elsewhere and that, that might be dangerous. Um, yeah, if I, if I could chime in here, um, one thing I would say is I feel like in terms of who has gotten, I mean, everyone, this is not a good situation for anyone. Like, let's start with that. But if I can say one generation and a specific subset of a generation that got the most fucked here, it is old, older millennials. I would say people mm -hmm. in their thirties <laughs> who were in, at the time of the great uh, recession in 2008, 2009, we were like 12 or 13 years old. Like it, it was scary in the sense that perhaps our parents were laid off or perhaps there was economic anxiety, but we were largely watching it from our living room, right? For these people, yeah, they were, they were just yeah. graduating. Well, those um, older millennials, they were just really, graduating. really expensive yeah. like, colleges and universities that were way more expensive than their parents, have a shit ton of student loan debt, and they get hit with this. So then they have to either not find a job or they're underemployed working as bartenders. Like you said, the bartenders, the contract workers, et cetera, et cetera, doing whatever they can to get by. They spend the next 10 years finally getting their shit together and they're hit a stride. Maybe they got, maybe they have kids, maybe they're saving up for a house and then this hits, right? And so now that they're hit with this and now they have not, not only do they have the financial obligations that they haven't been able to get rid of. So rent, um, student loans, which are bad for us as Canadians, but are infinitely worse for Americans, but also then have kids, right? Like we haven't even thought about that. Like we're, we're privileged in that, in that sense. Like right now I'm calling for my parents home and I have the, the privilege of being able to go home to my parents' place in the middle of a pandemic. And I'm extremely thankful for that, but I recognize that's not universal, right? And I, and I think that um, one of the, the, the fears that I have about this is like, if I'm not getting my answers from the traditional system, like I go for more radical options, like what Tony said, right? And I mean, not talking about, I mean, we can talk about Canada, but I'm going to just talk about the States for just a sec here, um, just because they are an important player because of how big they are. One of the things that scares me is the fact that there's going to be a really, really poor economy and a, a place with a really high per capita gun ownership rate. And if shit, if shit doesn't go well, like that is a recipe. <laughs> oh my. And I'm not trying to be um, an acronym. Like I'm not trying to be apocalyptic here. I'm just trying to like, like send the warning bell saying like we have to get this right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it is on unprecedented well, time. Anyway. And I, I don't necessarily <laughs> um, think yeah. you're being over dramatic in any way. I mean, we, we have history as a model. 
I mean, back in the 1920s and 1930s, it's not like individuals were unfamiliar with the concept of democracy. It just seemed like autocracy was the better model that would address their social and economic angst. And I think uh, people similarly now are willing in a system that you know, uh, elects Donald Trump, who is clearly incompetent and incapable of addressing any of these issues. So what would this pandemic mean for people like Trump, and not just Trump, but all politicians and the politics in our world? How would this pandemic change what we look for in our leaders? Yeah, the research says now that most, uh, I, I think this is in America, most millennials identify as socialists. So I think it's right right there. Capitalism hasn't worked for them. They, they might be the first generation who in a long time that are going to be poorer than their parents. They're not going to be as well off as their parents. So they're looking yeah. for something else, right? They're looking for something else that could fix this broken system for them. And I think that's why people like Bernie, people on the outs, on the outskirts of like yeah, the traditional political I, spectrum, that's why people, is, um, people like that are gaining a lot of traction. Um, if you look at history, one of the things that comes out of large global crises, especially depressions, is usually a systemic response to that depression to get out of it. If we take a look at the United States, the United States created minimum wage, the SEC, Social Security, they invested a shit ton in infrastructure. Here in Canada, we created the Bank of Canada, we created employment insurance. A lot of the institutions and systems that we depend on today, that we kind of just take for granted, were created as a response to one of the largest, to what was the biggest economic crisis of our times back then. So that's I a think good point. So, so, so what, what institutions do you think are going to come out of this? Some form of a basic income. I don't know if it's going to be universal. I don't know what the constraints will be, but we're already seeing countries across the world, like, like for example, in Canada, it's not a universal basic income, but it is pretty applic- like widely applicable. It's pretty accessible. It, it, it comes from when you apply to when you get it. It's two business days, right? So we're, we're seeing countries like Spain experiment with universal basic yeah. income for people under a specific income, right? So it's not completely universal, but it's, it's, it's like variants of it. So we're taking de- definite strides towards that. So that's one thing. And what I'll conclude on is I think another thing that's going to happen um, is this. Like, frankly, when all this is done, the governments of the world, like the, the federal governments of the world will be trillions of dollars in debt. The provincial and state governments will be mi- billions of dollars in debt. And the, the municipal governments will be millions of dollars in debt. Like everyone will be indebted and they're not going to raise taxes on your everyday Joes because they're already kind of fucked. So there's really only one place where they can get this money. And frankly, it's, it's, it's large corporations. So I think, I think this is going to be the reckoning of the big tech giants. Like I think we're going to tax Apple. I think we're going to tax all these places that have been able to get away with it for the last 15, 20 Mm. years. I think we're going to come at them with pitchforks. And I think that, um, frankly, conversations about things like the wealth tax are going to pick up a lot more as well because people are angry. They, and they, they, we need to, to come back from the strong and it's not going to come at the hands of everyday citizens. At least it shouldn't. So just, just to quickly jump in, I'd love to hear Tom's thoughts too. I think that's, that's a pretty optimistic take on kind of what's going to happen, um, to, be, to be candid. For instance, UBI, I, I do agree 
that uh, I don't necessarily think that people are going to fully embrace UBI, but I think we're going to see a lot less societal stigma at receiving government aid because government aid is, is so widespread and, and needed right now. So it's going to be a lot harder for people yeah. not to be hypocrites when they've been collecting the Canada emergency response benefit and then criticize people mm-hmm. for EI. And I think we have to accept as a society that there's no guarantee the number of jobs is going to be equal to the number of people. So there's going to be individuals that are always uh, potentially going to experience the underemployment we see now due to the pandemic. So this is the new segment of our podcast called People Who Need Jesus. We go through the past week and we find people who have done ludicrous, ridiculous, and downright unethical things, and we put them on blast on the podcast because we think these people at this point need divine intervention to help them. Starting off with Tony, people who need Jesus. Yeah, I think I think Dr. Phil and Dr. Oz are real dumbasses. Like, first of all, you have Dr. Phil telling people to go outside. Fuck, the only reason I know who he is is because he was telling some teenage girl like that she was terrible for saying, catch me outside, how about that? But also Dr. Oz, I mean, like this guy selling herbs and supplements I can buy at Walmart as like pharmaceutical, you know, genius inventions. Like what? what's what's up with that? And also these guys are supposed to be doctors. Like are, we, we need some doctors, you know, in Brooklyn right now, maybe in California. Hey, come up here to Alberta, help us out. Like, are, are you real doctors or, or have I been getting lied to? This this feels like the WWE all over again. <laughs> I'm, I'm really? certain they're not real doctors. <laughs> uh, Anka, people who need Jesus. Okay, okay. Um, let's start off with the owner of the Ontario store, Yummy Mummy Emporium, who, get this guys, called the COVID-19 pandemic a hoax and said that you can come with a fever and a cough to her store all you want because we know that germs don't cause disease. She needs Jesus, folks. And and medical advice. Why, why is, uh, what, what was the store called again? Yummy, yummy what? Yummy Mummy Emporium. What, what yeah, there's is, a what lot the, going on. Yeah, here. what's yeah? Is she eating moms? Like, what? What is up? What this is, is a clean thing? podcast, Tony? It's a clean podcast. <laughs> All right, I don't I'll know about you. You already cuss. I don't know about Tony. Um, so it says Yummy you know, Mummy Emporium you know, you, and Apothecary. You know, you know what's really clean is Run Yummy mom Yummy care. Mummy Emporium. They apparently there are no germs at all. Yeah, yeah. It's run by Mompreneur. That's what she calls herself. Amanda Vollmer. Uh, we all know that germs don't cause disease. You are welcome to visit us for March break while fools cancel everything according to government propaganda. Yep, this is a, this is a real story, folks. All right, I'll go. People who need Jesus. Uh, I believe the people who... I believe they were down in Michigan who decided to block the road to a hospital as protest for the lockdown. Like, I get it. You have the right to speak up and voice your opinion, but to block the hospital 
while in your car wearing a mask seems pretty stupid. It's like you're accepting that the COVID-19 is a real thing, but you're still dumb enough to block a hospital. Those people need Jesus. Mm. Okay, I got another one. Uh, people who need Jesus. Uh, I got to say, the Las Vegas mayor here who went on national TV and said that we should open up now and ask questions later. Lady, that is horrible advice. You, you, I, I, I really think um, she needs Jesus, folks. What do you all think? I, I don't think the mayor of Las Vegas is ever going to have Jesus in their lives. <laughs> is that like the worst, the least likely person to have Jesus in their lives? Like, nope. Honestly, like I don't even think that's that bad a thing. I, I she seems sweet. I, I'd hang out with her. Really, you, you'd hang out with her? Yeah, I, I mean, I'd um, I'd probably spend the first like ten to fifteen minutes telling her she's like incompetent and doesn't know how to deal with a pandemic. But then I'd I'd spend like mm. some degree of time asking her about her life. I I bet it's sick. Like I bet like the way they elect a mayor in Las Vegas is you just have to be a party animal. Like you're the biggest one. So I feel like she's probably she's probably sick. I wonder where they recruit from. Do they just recruit from like the the top party schools and they're like, like oh the yeah, Las Vegas is hiring. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, we're gonna get some, some listeners from Las Vegas like super offended. Like, what the heck, man? <laughs> yeah, we we elect competent governance. Like, uh, <laughs> clearly not. <laughs> probably clown college. All right. You guys got any more? The last one I'm going to say, Tony. <laughs> uh, the last one I'll say, people who need Jesus, people who stopped ordering from Chinese restaurants because of COVID-19. I don't know where they study science, but that's not how diseases spread and diseases don't come from one ethnicity. Those people need Jesus. Okay, everyone, that's it for this week's episode. Thank you very much for listening. If you like what you heard, please feel free to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and or Spotify. And if you want to keep up with what we're doing, follow us on Instagram at thecusppod or email us at thecusppod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you and get your thoughts. Anyways, uh, that's it for us. Have a great week, everyone. Goodbye.